0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Something about this just doesn't seem right. So this is the Sunday in the church year when we tend to focus on the ministry of John the Baptist, who you recall is the cousin of our Lord Jesus. And we just have to say that Cousin John is kind of like Cousin Eddie in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, if you remember that character. You know, he's the cousin who ruins every cocktail party, right? Everybody's trying to have a good time. It's festive. We're looking forward to the holidays. We're of good cheer. And John the Baptist shows up. Hey, guys, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And you're like, great, can I enjoy some eggnog? Please, John, what's the deal? But this is who John the Baptist is. This is the ministry that God gave to him, that called him to, to announce this word of wrath, and judgment he says that the one who comes after me he is the mightier one the Messiah our Lord Jesus that he is the one who is going to come as judge but he comes not merely merely with a gavel in his hand but with an axe he comes not merely with a, a gavel but with a winnowing fork he is the one who is going to lay that axe to the trees to all those who have been unfruitful in their repentance He is the one who is going to bring his winnowing fork and separate the wheat from the chaff. And so John the Baptist, when he proclaims this coming one with the fire and the brimstone like those fiery prophets of old, like Malachi and all the rest, John surely proclaims him as the coming judge. But here's where something from our text today, this gospel reading, seems not quite right. Because you see, as John is out there calling everybody broods of vipers, they're coming to him in droves. The crowds are going out there ostensibly to be insulted by John the Baptist. And not only that, but in summarizing John's witness and ministry at the end of the gospel reading, did you catch this? Luke says, and so with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. I don't know about you, but when I hear this proclamation of judgment, of wrath, of fire, it doesn't sound like good news. In what sense could Jesus, as the coming judge, be gospel for you and me? Well, I think for us to answer that, we need to recognize, first of all, that as modern people, this whole idea of of judgment Christ being judged, that that carries a lot of baggage for us, does it not? When we think about judgment, we automatically think of it as a negative thing. And even justice. We talk about justice a lot, but justice can have a negative tint or connotation to it. And yet for God's Old Testament people, that was emphatically not the case. They viewed judgment and God's judgment as a good thing, as something to be looked forward to and longed for. And I think part of the way that we can understand this is to, first of all, just get a definition out on the table. What are we talking about when we talk about judgment and Christ as the coming judge? Well, understand, biblically speaking, when it talks about judgment, it means God setting a world of wrongs to rights. It means God binding up what is broken, putting his fallen world back together to the way that he originally intended it to be. That's how they understood judgment. And we see in our text here a couple of things, bracketing the text actually, that that point to and underscore this definition and understanding of judgment and why it was something that the people of God at Jesus' day looked forward to and, and longed for that judgment. First of all, was the way that Luke started the text, and you had all these names that are hard to pronounce, and you're like, who are these people, why are they in here? I mean, there was Pontius Pilate, we're familiar with him, and Herod, of course, but then there's all these other guys that, who, who are all these folks? Part of the reason that Luke includes this is because it's so important to him to situate this moment historically. Luke is the one who, as we said last week, he is the preacher of details. He wants to make sure we see, look, this is when it happened, this is where it happened. And for those of us who believe in the God of the scriptures, our Lord Jesus Christ, this is reassuring to us. This is not just some fairy tale. This didn't just happen a long time ago in a place far, far away. It happened in a real place, at a real time, under real people. It's part of the reason Luke includes that. But also, and germane to what we're talking about here, in terms of God's judgment, these are the folks who were the ones who wielded the power in that world. These are the guys that called the shots, that dictated reality for the Israelites. They're the ones who pressed God's people under their thumb and said, do this, don't do that. And so when they hear good news of God coming as judge, they receive it as gospel because it's the proclamation that ultimately all of these guys, all of these bigwigs who think that they're the ones who are in charge in this present age, they are ultimately The ones who must also bow the knee to God, the almighty king and ruler. You with me? And I think this is good news for us still today as well. When sometimes we can feel like so much is out of our hands. When the the world looks askance at our faith. When we, we feel like everybody is looking down at our Christian proclamation, the beliefs that we hold near and dear. Give me just one example. I heard this past week, it was a a podcast. I think it was like the Meet the Press kind of podcast. And the roundtable, they were all talking about um, one high-profile court case that had been in the news. And the mother of the person in question noted, and she said publicly, that she was praying for justice. She was praying for justice. And the folks in this roundtable discussion, they brought that up and they said, how sad that this woman prays for justice, that she prays for justice. They all kind of laughed. They tittered as they heard her, this uh, the soundbite, thinking, how sad that in our world people think that they have to pray for justice. And the implication was, look, the ones who are really in charge, they're the people that really matter. Ultimately, God and praying to God, that's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, the ones who are elected officials or bureaucrats, the ones who look to all the, the world's eyes and the people who are in charge, they're the ones that really matter. Whereas God in prayer to God, well, that's just a sad second place or last resort. That is not the case. And when we see God's judgment and the promise of Christ as the coming judge, we're able to see this in proper light. But also, and I'd say even more so, We understand why God's judgment is good news when we go to the end of the text. And we see what happens to John himself, who was proclaiming the God of judgment. What happens to John? He gets locked up by one of those guys who pretends to be in charge. And indeed, he loses his head by one of the rulers of this age. This puts us face to face with what sometimes is called the the problem of evil, The problem of pain that God would allow such an awful thing to happen to one of his own to one of to one of his prophets but the promise and the proclamation of God's coming judgment says that evils like what happened to John the Baptist don't have the last word that those wrongs will be righted that those evils will be redressed and when we think about What happened downstate in Oxford this week. And the horrendous suffering, just the the awful pain that has been inflicted. The hearts that break. You know, I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, reading stories like all of us were. And apart from just the sadness of the event itself, one of the things that broke my heart was hearing and reading about how the kids Praise God, they were prepared and it didn't go worse because they had been doing drills in advance. This was something that they do is just kind of part of their everyday life as students and as teachers. They knew what they had to do. Teachers had to barricade the doors. These are all the things that they had to do. And it just broke my heart that we live in a world where kids have to have drills to prepare for things like that. This is why we desperately need the God of justice, and indeed why his judgment, and Christ as the coming judge, is one to look forward to. But even to say all that, maybe you're still thinking, well, that all sounds well and good, and I'm glad to have the Lord come and to sort things all out, but I'm still not so confident or certain that I'm going to be one who's going to fall on the right side of his judgment and his justice. Like, okay, that's great, he's going to come and right all the wrongs, but what if I'm wrong? That proclamation of John still can sound pretty convicting to each and every one of us. And here's where I think John is right, but maybe he didn't fully understand the full extent of the good news that he was proclaiming, see. Because Christ Jesus, the coming judge, he comes not only as the agent of that judgment, but also as the object of that judgment, See, Jesus comes and bears the wrath of God on himself in in the place of unholy, unjust sinners like you and me. Christ Jesus is not only the judge, but he is also the defender and the advocate. He is the one who comes rendering the verdict of God, but he is also the one who comes and stands in your place and pleads your defense before the courtroom of the Heavenly Father. When we see our Lord Jesus as the coming judge, we see him rightly, but we must also see him as the coming Savior and Defender. The one who renders that verdict is also the one who has that verdict rendered upon him for your sake and for mine. Yes, Jesus is the mightier one, as John proclaimed, but he is also the man of sorrows. Yes, he comes bearing that fire. But it is ultimately the fire and flame of his Holy Spirit implanted in your heart and mine. Yes, that axe is laid to the root of the tree, but that tree is the tree of Calvary where Christ himself was crucified to take away your sin and mine. And indeed, God the Father has raised up from the stone that was rolled over Jesus' tomb, one in whom every one of you are made sons and daughters of Abraham. Amen? because of what Christ Jesus has done, now you and I are able to look ahead to that day when he comes again without fear, without trepidation, because the one who is your judge is the one who is your defender. So then that raises the question for us. What shall we do? Just as they asked John the Baptist, not as those who need to to merit God's approval, not as those who need to establish themselves before the Lord, but because already you have been declared righteous in God's sight, because already you are his just people. Now we can't help but ask, okay, so what shall I do? How then shall I live? And I think just as John addressed all those who came to him, so we can address one another. See, John speaks to the the soldiers, and he speaks to the the tax collectors, and what he encourages and admonishes admonishes them to do is to be faithful in the vocations that God has placed you. And I would urge you and say the same thing to you, that as parents and as kids, honor your parents, honor your families, take care of your kids, don't exasperate your children. As employees, how can you honor the one who has hired you? How can you be diligent in your labor as those who hire or who are uh, bosses to others? How can you do so in a faithful, caring way? How can we continue to care for, as Malachi said, for those who are oppressed, for those who are seeking justice, to be upright in our affairs, to look to honor especially the weakest and the most vulnerable among us, to, to care for our neighbors? This is what God has given us to do. It's nothing more or less than what we have in the Ten Commandments. And look, ultimately, we can take heart, take heart in all of this when we feel like we're not doing such a good job that John the Baptist is going to come one day and just say, hey, you're a brood of Viper too. We say, yeah, I know it. But you also have this promise that we heard in our epistle reading today that God has begun a good work in you. He has begun a good work in you and he is bringing it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That day when our Lord is going to come and to sort everything out. We look forward to that day with fervent hope and expectation. I'll leave you with this thought. I was talking with a friend, and she's uh, somebody who, like me, likes to read a lot of books. And so we're always asking ourselves, well, what are you reading right now? And she said, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but I'm reading a whole lot of Agatha Christie. You guys know Agatha Christie? She's that British lady who wrote like a gazillion mystery novels, right? And I said, oh, that's... Cool, more power to you. But I was like, well, why Agatha Christie, and why right now? And she thought about it for a second, and she said, you know what? Because in every one of those books, there's a satisfying ending where the wrongs are always righted, where the evil people always get what's coming to them, where justice is always done. Friends, We look forward to the day when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. Because even more than in an Agatha Christie mystery, all things will be put back together. God's judgment will hold sway. Evils will be addressed. Wrongs will be righted. And God will come to judge and to reign forever and ever for you and for me. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to say.